everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. Welcome, everybody. You know, I've been thinking about a topic, and I'm sure that you've probably thought about it too, and that is how to respond to some of the issues in front of us in our culture when we see things happening in the news and in our world. What do we do with the fear or the anger or whatever emotions those things are creating? And this is going to be an ongoing topic, actually, because I find myself responding to what's happening in our world when I'm looking at the news or on social media, and I'm either responding with grief, horror, anger, or a combination of all three. And one verse that has always struck me so profoundly, and it's a verse I'll probably say, I don't know, a hundred times before the year is out, but it's 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But you know this, and I like that we're told that we we do know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Now, this is a list of attributes characterizing the leaders of dangerous seasons. As we get closer to the return of Christ, it's primarily false teachers in the church, but Jesus gave us some of these traits as descriptors of just your run-of-the-mill unbeliever in Mark. And that verse does apply to the kind of people that we will see in spades as we get closer to the return of Christ. But Jesus says in Mark 7, 21 through 23, from, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, Lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil comes from within and defile a man. So just this week, three examples of something that either grieved me, horrified me, or made me angry just in this last week. And then I want to tack onto that. I want to talk about that and then tack onto that a little bit of a Colossians study, a part of a Colossians study that I've given at retreats because I think it helps thinking about how to respond as we need to put off anger in the situation. So there's horror, there's grief, there's anger. I'm going to primarily talk about how we put off anger and respond righteously because things are going to get more difficult as the evil is ramped up. And so I think, and I've said this before, we are living in the most thankless time in human history, at least in this country. People are unappeasable. They cannot be satisfied. And I don't think I've seen a better description of that in what was just shown in the interview with Uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle with Oprah Winfrey. That's been all the talk. It's been all over the news. They stepped back from the royal family. They now live in America. And you know what? I'm a fan of the royal family in this way. I don't follow their every move, of course, but I appreciate what they stand for. I appreciate the royal line. I appreciate the history, the tradition, the nobility. When this world stoops, in most cases, to the lowest common denominator all the time, these people 
are still holding up a sense of dignity and decorum. It's one of the few institutions left where you are expected to wear a dress and nylons instead of showing up in your pajamas. And they keep private matters private instead of airing out grievances for the entire world to chomp on and gossip about. So I only bring this interview up because I just think it's a perfect encapsulation of what's wrong in our world. And I watched bits of this Harry Meghan interview, the ones that were supposed to be the most shocking or controversial. And it grieved me because it's an example of two people having the highest privilege with the most thankless response, just the most thankless response. So we had a couple of things that they talked about, the race card and being financially cut off from the family, even though they are still multimillionaires. And then there was the mental health piece. And so I was thinking about the race issue, which of course is just the hot button of the day. And I really don't think that the queen gives two hoots about Megan's skin color. She'd be more likely to be wary of Megan because she's an American. And you know the reputation we have with the Brits, and for good reason sometimes. We didn't get that obnoxious American stereotype for nothing. So I really wouldn't blame the queen for one second. I mean, I can imagine her just saying, oh, those pesky Americans. They charge in and simply ruin everything. She's more likely to say something like that than she is to really care about what color someone is. So there was that. And there was this other claim about no no support, no financial support from the royal family. And they are in such a high profile position to dishonor their father. That's what Harry did in my estimation. He dishonored his father, who has provided greatly for him, the royal family greatly, the whole country actually, but in front of millions of people. You know what scripture says about that? Exodus 20 verse 12, honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. And Jesus reiterates that command to honor your mother and father. And that goes all the way to the grave with your parents. And that is so lacking, so incredibly lacking today. He should have edified his dad. He should have talked about the great things that his dad had done. They should have been grateful for all that they had been given. And instead, he, I think, said he was disappointed in his father. And it's just, it, to me, it's very heartbreaking. This upper echelon elite, highest, uh, again, privilege that you can go and sinking to the lowest, to the lowest depths of just uh, dishonoring your dad. And God commands that we honor our parents. And it just breaks my heart to see people dishonor them in a public forum, especially something as public as that. Again, how many millions of people watched that interview? And then there was the mental health piece. And Megan makes a claim that she was so distraught because of the pressure of the royal family and the press. She said, I just don't want to live anymore. Well, I couldn't believe my ears, honestly. <laughs> I don't know one woman on the planet anywhere I don't think you can find her. Not really. That's why I think this is so disingenuous. Who is totally in love. 
who has been gifted a royal wedding, who's married to a prince, you never want financially again, the world is full of hope and shiny things, and you never have to do laundry a day in your life. It's like the most hopeful scenario a person could have. And in that moment, she offers to kill herself. Nobody wants to kill themselves when things are going that well. Not one person. And so I thought, even if those circumstances distress her, then there's worse problems she has than that. If you're going to offer to kill yourself in that scenario, what are you going to do when there's actual real pressure in life? You have two people who should be brimming with gratefulness. And then they do an interview to present themselves as victims. In these last days, people will be lovers of self. And then the other thing that horrified me, so I had something that grieved my heart, then I had this horrifying moment, and it was a TikTok someone sent me of a man who I think claims to be a reverend. He's young, he's sorely misguided at best, and he's a demon worshiper at worst, because he was claiming that in Mark 7, with the exchange between the Syrophoenician woman with the demon-possessed daughter and Jesus, that he... Uh, Jesus, he says, made a racial slur toward this woman and that the woman rebuked him for his racism and then Jesus repented. Okay, that's blasphemy, 100% blasphemy. He's 100% in error. Why? Of course, because Jesus was sinless. So this person took scripture and forced it to mean what he wanted it to mean so that he could claim that even the Lord of glory perfect, sinless, spotless son of God was a racist. You think you heard it all. And then you're just surprised again that somebody could go to that level. That horrified me. And then the thing that angered me was this post of a trans activist man made up like a woman. And he says on his post, These days, the narrative, and I'm quoting the post, these days, the narrative is that transgender people will come into bathrooms and abuse little girls. The supposed purity of the victims has remained stagnant. Whatever that means. I don't understand what what that means. Their purity has remained stagnant. There are no princes, he says. There are no princesses. Little girls are also kinky. Your kids are aren't as straight and narrow as you think. So that is a horrifying post. It's just horrifying. And let me say this. If this person or anyone like him comes into a public bathroom when I'm in there, I'm going to scream like I'm being murdered with an ice pick. Everybody is going to hear me. Let's say I'm at the mall. They're going to hear me from Macy's to Nordstrom and back again. I am going to scream for all of the defenseless girls and the whole movement toward insisting that we sit by while someone is posting such horrific things about children and is demanding that we sit back and accept it. That I am expected to use a public restroom with a man simply because he claims to be a woman. No, it's unacceptable. It's unconscionable. And we cannot be silenced in these matters. I am going to scream so that the entire place can hear me. And I'm going to make a very verifiable statement. We must stand up for what is righteous before God. And I'm going to have everybody know it. (laughs) I might get 
taken away in handcuffs for my histrionics, but I don't care. It's worth it. I'm not going to stand by while somebody is doing and perpetrating that kind of evil. And I'm going to scream for us all to protect the children, to protect the women who can't protect themselves, and for the defenseless. Isaiah 117 even says, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And I would add, although I'm not adding to scripture, I'm just adding, and yell bloody murder in a public bathroom if anyone is in there that shouldn't be. That's my charge. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to pray for all of them. Harry and Meghan and the man that dared to call again the Lord of glory a sinner and this transgender person, they all need to know Christ and be saved from their sin like every soul walking. They need prayer. They need to be delivered to be sure. But we need to find that balance. I know I do. I am struggling with this. How do I navigate between being loving and merciful and standing up for the truth? And I think, like I said, it will be helpful to get a little biblical perspective on anger because I have to be sure I'm dealing it with it individually in my own heart before I can be free to say I'm righteously angry. Truth be known, most of the time we are not righteously angry. We are angry because we have personally been offended. So that's where it starts with that individual responsibility. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So anger, the first thing on the list is anger. And again, that's not a sin in itself if you don't sin when you're angry, but most of us do tend to sin when we're angry, either in thought, word, or deed. One author says, righteous anger is motivated by a sincere love for God. Righteous anger is aroused when God's will is violated. Okay, in the case of the transgender post, or in the case of the man who said that Jesus was a racist, that is righteous anger. God's will is violated. So yes to that. But most of us have to confess, and I am in that boat, that holy anger belongs to a state of sanctification to which we have not yet attained. That's true. So there are different ways just that anger shows itself. It could be, I know for myself, maybe a rejection of God's sovereignty. I I can do that if I don't like his plan or his timing or even his permissive will. Sometimes, you know, that can that can upset me or I can be angry that things are turning out this way or the world is this way or pride, of course, there's always pride. You can always point to that. There's discontentment, uh, impatience with how your life is or how the day is going again or, you know, what's happening when you flip on the news. So any of that can flare up. But anger, if we're talking about Uh, Colossians is a deep smoldering bitterness and it's the settled heart attitude which leads to unforgiveness that of course has ruined countless marriages and relationships and platforms with people that you can speak to or have uh, a relationship with so I have to have a measured response in all things how about you and I also need a forgiving spirit And I know this happens for me, it might happen for you as well, that we tend to excuse anger. And I think we justify it a lot and we don't think it's too bad of a sin. But if that was true, 
We wouldn't have proverbs like 21:19, better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. I know all men would give a hearty amen to that. Have you seen the miles and miles of parched, scorching land of the deserts in Israel? Better to go pitch your tent out in the sand with rattlesnakes and scorpions than deal with women when we're angry and contentious. So we also will throw a little cloak over it. Sometimes we'll call it dainty names when I'm really angry. You know, we'll say I'm irritated or I'm frustrated. Well, Frustrate actually means to break or to be broken or to split or crack through. Isn't that interesting? That's really the truth of that of that word. And also irritate. Uh, irritate is like the sound of thunder. And that's when the story of Elkanah and Peninnah and Hannah. And Hannah is so sad because she doesn't have any children and she is barren. But her rival, who is her sister, provokes her bitterly, and Hannah becomes irritated. And like I said, that means to make the sound of thunder. So I think more often than not, our irritation and our frustration is really anger. And you have to ask yourself, is it righteous anger, God-honoring righteous anger because his will is violated, or is it about me and me personally being offended? And that really is a it's a tough one. It's really a tough one. I even did an experiment when I was studying this issue and I thought, well, I'm sure that now that I'm aware of it, I can go a long time before I say I'm irritated because now I'm aware God's made me aware. So we'll see. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to do really, really good with this now. So, or good with this or well with this. Oh dear. I don't know. I don't remember which, which is it? If you're a if a if you're a grammar a grammar teacher if you're an English teacher you can send me a note I re, I did really well with this or I did really good with this it could be either I'm not sure I'll look it up when I'm done so I'm so irritated okay that's what I said I'm gonna see how long I can go so I said I found myself saying it I said I'm so irritated I don't even remember what it was about but I did look at the clock at that moment and it was 7 40 a.m that's how long I made it hmm about an hour and 15 minutes from when I got out of bed great job so one of my favorite proverbs on this topic and I try to think of it often is 1911 he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. That's a great imagery of the power of being spirit controlled, which is what we're called to do. That's the opposite of being sinfully angry. There are some practical things we can do when we feel besieged by anger. I know that it's worked for me and that's immediately pray for a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I want to escape the temptation. And God will bring a verse to mind to settle my heart or, you know, to remind me it's the Lord's will that we don't sin. We can pray with confidence that God will give us a way of escape. And just to remind ourselves that he is sovereign. He could have prevented whatever circumstance it is from arising, but he has the power uh, to give to you, to face it and to handle it his way. And then it can be served with a good purpose. What is the antidote to anger? I think about this often. Of course, it's being content, being content with our circumstances, submitting and taking pleasure in what God has for us. 
whatever is happening, we know it's his ordination for us. He's ordained it for us. And that could be whether it's material possessions or relationships or work, what have you, he has ordained that. And I love this truth. The grumbling discontented spirit is worse than the affliction you're grumbling about. And if you want a book on contentment, that's the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Jeremiah Burroughs, he's a Puritan. We know that, right? Because the Lord is not happy about a discontented, grumbling spirit. That's rejecting his sovereignty and his goodness and his glory. And it helps me to remember that a murmuring heart is a rebellious heart. So when you think about the grumblers or complainers and those that gave vent to to dissatisfaction of God's will, that would be like Israel, Sodom, the fallen angels, Cain, Korah, Balaam, that kind of thing, that is a rebellious and discontented heart. And the devil is the most discontented creature in the world. He finds no rest. The opposite of that is contentment. I want to be on the side of contentment and not on the side of a grumbler. That never ends well, as seen in those examples that I just gave. So honestly, when I complain or murmur about what's happening around me in the world, I must stop and consider what I'm saying as it relates to God's sovereignty in my life. I have to start there. That has to be the beginning point. In whatever the Lord has providentially given us, we have to be content and not angry because it is from his good hand. If you want a great study, read Nehemiah. The good hand of God is upon me. He says that so many times, and I love it. God's good hand is upon me. It is upon you, Christian. And we have to remember that and lock that down in the view of of the world and what's happening and keep that center as our worldview. But from the same mouth, this is the other thing we have to think about when we're thinking about our individual responsibility. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Even unredeemed man retains the likeness of God. So how very wrong from that same mouth come blessing and cursing. So King David gives us an example of this. You all know the wonderful praise that was on his lips. We have the Psalms to see that. So David's pen is responsible for both of these. He wrote both of these. He wrote Psalm 835. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. And then in 2 Samuel eleven fifteen, David wrote a letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So You have David who can praise God so intently, and then you can have him say wicked things, murderous things, put Uriah in the forefront, and then retreat so that he may die. That's how he's treating his fellow man after he just said, oh, Lord, you have made man, mankind, a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. And I know that we can do the same thing. We marvel at what God has done. We marvel at his creation and uh, his goodness and the way that he designed the world and he designed man and all the people that we love. But then we can turn on that and turn on a dime and we can curse someone. And the most wicked person, like this person, like this person with this post and this comment about little girls. I mean, this is Manasseh 
quality stuff here. Look him up if you want a really great story of redemption. And the one, so that's somebody that you just think, no, and you think sometimes they're unredeemable and you, you want to say very strong things about this person, really strong things. You think about him and even maybe somebody that causes grief in your own life, you know, everybody can think of someone, but that person is made in honor and we may not dishonor them, even if they are doing and saying like the things that this man is saying, we have to turn them over to the Lord and and allow him to deal with them. Yes, but we also have to be merciful. Not again, I'm not taking back that we that we shouldn't scream in the bathroom. If somebody like that comes in, I'm just telling you, I don't know, that's going to be me. You can tell me whether or not you're willing to do that, but I'm going to do that. But it's the attitude toward them, not not dishonoring that person because God has made them. They have been made in honor and we may not dishonor them. Titus 3, 1 through 2, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. So apparently this admonition applies especially to dealing with unbelievers. Again, that's not easy. <laughs> We're angry at the injustice that we see. And I'm, you know, praying imprecatory Psalms, praying that the Lord will rain down judgment on the godless when I see things like this. But I'm reminded, the Lord reminds me to speak evil of no one. But at the same time, of course, I ask God to deal with that person and to protect innocent lives. So there are two things that are happening at that same venture. And again, I know that that God will deal justly. He's 100% just, and he will deal justly with each and every person. And so part of my test, though, is to is to have mercy and to pray for them and to have the right heart attitude. And we need to need to be sure about that and reflect on what's going on in our hearts. And because Jesus shows us the whole matter of slandering even somebody or being unrighteously angry is a heart issue. Math, Matthew 5.22. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. So Raka means empty headed. That's what you might call somebody. And I must admit, boy, I've done that on more than one occasion. But Jesus suggests that the verbal abuse stems from the same sinful motives, anger and hatred that eventually lead to murder. It's smoldering bitterness. It's brooding. It's holding a grudge. It's the internal attitude that the law actually prohibits. So it's it's what's going on in our hearts. And so when we spew out any kind of insult that <laughs> that carries the kind of moral guilt that an act of murder would carry since to slander a creature made in God's image is a slander against the God who made that person and that's the Lord and so so we have to be careful you know we have to be careful this is what God says about hatred i i have to be careful not to hate someone i might hate what they represent and what they're doing because God hates that too. He hates something so heinous as that. And I'm on his page. I'm on his side. When you're a Christian, you hate the same things that God hates. But if I hate if I hate someone internally that way, personally, it carries the same moral guilt as murder. And 
That's not where I want to be either. God knows our hearts. Matthew 9, 4, in dealing with the scribes, Jesus says this, but Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? You don't even have to say anything. You're just thinking it. And that's enough because God knows. And remember the heart in scripture is the seat of it all. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's the center of everything. And then the next verse, it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. So every person will be rewarded or they will be judged according to the fruit of what they do. We have to trust God in these situations, in these dark days. But for us too, we know that there's a struggle between the spirit and the flesh. We, we have to be walking by the spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, <laughs> right? We, we must be paying attention to that. We're still in our earthly bodies and those two things wage war against another. The spirit against the flesh, the spirit against the flesh. But God understands that. He knows that we are warring against that. Let that be a comfort to you. Don't give up. We're being sanctified and the Lord is at work. He understands that battle and putting off the flesh. And I know that I have to work on that because, I mean, I have not had a run-in like that yet, but there's going to be more and more opportunities. And I want to first be the person that wants to give somebody a word of life. You know, I want to be able to give them the gospel I want to have a mindset like that, and I want to be merciful toward them. But again, this is the question for me. Where is that line, and how do you discern that? And uh, sometimes I just want to say, you know what, I'm just going to yell and proclaim. I'm going to proclaim the gospel, and then I'm going to run or something, something like that. I don't know. It has yet to be worked out, everybody. (laughs) But you can tell I'm thinking about it. So Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we do that? The source of that knowledge, of course, is the word of God. And that's why it's important to be thinking about these things, setting our mind on things above, seeing Christ and his beauty and his loving kindness and his compassion, because we need to emulate that in these days. And that is found in his word. It is found in his word. And Mark 4 24 says, then he, Jesus said to them, take heed what you hear with the same measure you use. It will be measured out to you and to you who hear more will be given. That is a wonderful motivating truth. The one who has learned spiritual truth and applied it diligently will receive even more truth to faithfully apply, which is what I want. How wonderful of God to give us the ability to draw near to him and to learn more and to bask in those riches and be conformed to the image of his son, What a privilege and all of that. We have to think more on that, I think. Turn off the news. Don't look at the cesspool of social media too long because it does make you crazy. It makes me crazy. And I don't even really spend that much time on it, honestly. But it's enough to to get under my skin, boil my blood, cause me to grieve, cause me to be angry, cause me to be horrified. So... What else do we need to do? What else will help us? Well, we need to grow in our dependence of the Holy Spirit and on the Holy Spirit, I should say. We can't do these things in our own strength. The Spirit supplies us with the energy and the power to handle these situations. And he's always purifying us of sin. It's one of the activities that the Holy Spirit does is to purify us of of sin. And we are being changed into his likeness from one degree through his sanctifying 
power. And he dwells within all true believers, making us temples of the living God. And that's a great and holy, wonderful thing to think of. And he is powerful enough to help us put off sin. He is powerful enough to do this. He is powerful enough to protect us. It says in Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. May that be true of us. He shook the building, the third person of the Trinity, who is resident in our heart, will purify us. We've got to yield to him, be submitted to him, and rely on his power. Absolutely rely on his power. And I think we'll see more and more of that in these days to come. The the depending on the Holy Spirit and watching God work and seeing God's power in these situations, because this is a mighty battle, friends, a mighty spiritual battle that is ramping up to a degree I don't think that I've never known and lived in my lifetime. So we we should think of this as well, that even Christ lived dependent on the Spirit. He's our model for this. Jesus's love for his Father was perfect, which produced perfect obedience. By what power did he love and obey? By what power did he handle the situations? <laughs> he says it himself in the temple in Luke 4.18 when he stands up and he preaches from Isaiah 61.1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Peter says in Acts 10.38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Luke 4.1 Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was anointed, filled, led, and lived a perfect life of obedience by the Spirit. How much more so me and you? And what a treasure that this spirit with all the power resident in every believer, it's such a treasure. If we abide in Christ, we will walk in the same way and we will be able to handle the moments of anger and grief and distress and horror (laughs) by depending on the power of the spirit. He is so much more powerful than we give him credit for and to filter everything that's happening in the world through the eyes of Christ, asking him to help us to be righteously angry, not unrighteously angry. Righteous, righteous in our anger, not unrighteously angry. That would be a personal offense. No, we we have to be really serious about that because Satan will use that. He will use that. And we have to be aware that he's going to want to get us off track and to be angry in a personal way and to be angry in a sinful way instead of being on board with what the Lord is doing. So we need to be prayerful for people caught up in these heinous sins and how to have mercy on them and how to ask the Lord for help, that we are protected by the Holy Spirit, powerfully protected so we can move forward with mercy and compassion, but also boldness. Also boldness and just asking God, help me to discern what to do and how to approach the situation when it presents itself. So I won't be posting next week, but the following two weeks, I hope to be posting two parts on evangelism with a guest that I'll have on the show. In these dark days, we have a great discussion about how we can be effective. Speaking of people that we're dealing with here, giving the gospel 
and having words of hope as the days are evil. So that's it for now. Thanks for listening. <music>